Welcome to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, Senior Pastor of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. Our mission is to provide practical application of biblical truth to help you experience true purpose and lasting change that can begin now. Here's Pastor Russ. Hope you had a great Easter Sunday and a good week. You know, here we are again. I don't know what day this is, but we are, uh, we are quarantined still. But hey, but we're doing good back there? Okay. But it doesn't matter because you know what? Today is special and I get so excited uh, for these Sundays. It, it's, it's one of those things you, you can't stop God's ordinances and commands. You can't stop the life. Does that make sense? You can't stop the life behind them. It's, you know, and I love gathering during the week on Wednesday and Friday, and you can join us at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays and Fridays on our Facebook page and Instagram uh, page. Uh, But man, there's something special about Sundays. And, you know, as I was preparing this week, you know, I was thinking of... um, you know, like, where, where do you go? You know, where do you go from Easter? I mean, you can go a million different places. And I decided just to go as the Bible goes. I, I wanted to follow the story a little bit because um, there's so much in terms of relatability and application that the disciples go through as they are being made aware that Jesus is no longer dead but is risen. And what I saw in, in these accounts was you know, they, they walked with Jesus for three years. And as they walked with Jesus for three years, they learned more and more about who he was. Eventually, you know, Peter proclaiming that, you know, you are the Christ and understanding who he was. Uh, they saw countless miracles. They knew there was something special about Jesus and there was so much hope found in Jesus. And, uh, but their hope was a little misguided because they still thought at some level Jesus was going to bring in his kingdom on earth and that they would reign with him on earth but they were mistaken, obviously. And so what you see is after the resurrection that the disciples had to go through a phase or a season of new belief. They couldn't rest on the old belief, but there was a new belief, meaning Jesus was raised from the dead. He was living again, and they didn't quite buy it or believe it at first. And you would think they would believe it because he told them, um, over and over again, that he had to suffer, but that he would you know, be raised again. But yet they didn't get it. They didn't understand what that really meant. And then now here, Jesus is alive. And it's very interesting to see their first responses to this information. And it's very applicable to us because there's, I think we can all go through seasons of doubt. We can all go through seasons where we thought we knew Jesus or we thought we knew what it was to walk in faith. And then we're thrown a huge curveball. And then some of us at some point in time might have gotten derailed. And maybe right now you're derailed and you're, you're kind of in this no man's land and you're not quite sure what to think about Jesus as your savior or what it means to be a follower or if God's really for you because of something that has happened. And uh, so watching these disciples and their responses gives us a very good kind of clear picture of what it is to seek and find like refreshed belief, but really new belief, new levels of belief and understanding. And so let's go to Luke 24, verse 9. And so Mary 
uh, is coming back from the tomb. Uh, and she's about to tell everyone what she saw, what she heard. And it says this in verse 9. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So there's like, let's see, it's like one, uh, two, three, and plus more. There, there was a group of women all testifying to the same thing coming into this room where the disciples, apostles are. Telling them the good news of Jesus being alive again. And if you can imagine, first of all, what they witnessed Jesus going through and the type of death that he endured, the permanency of what they saw and understood in terms of his death and the finality of that and how it came about, there's no way, think about it, to really... You have to comprehend where they're coming from. They don't have the benefit of the narrative that we can see the beginning and end and understand. They were living it. And so all of a sudden, these women come into, burst into the room saying, Jesus is alive. And this is what they said. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. And they did not believe them. I want you to, and they did not believe them. So this is very important to understand that as they received the word, not just from one person who they could dismiss and say, she's crazy. It's, there was a whole bunch of them. And, there, and literally this word idle, it, it was used to describe the babbling of a fevered and insane man. <laughs> so they, they thought they were all crazy. But you see, their first response to this was, I don't believe it. There's no way. I don't believe it. They did not believe them. Now, let's think about that for a second. Wouldn't it be a great, like, wouldn't it benefit them to maybe believe it? <laughs> like, think about the good news that they are professing. Like, man, I would rather believe it than not believe it, but there was such an impossibility around it that they couldn't, un they couldn't comprehend. There's no way. And they had saw Lazarus raised from the dead. You know, they, they had seen miracles in which you know, others came to life because of Jesus' miracle. But yet when it came to Jesus, they did not believe it. They were stuck in the picture of him being dead and in the tomb. And so they all, in unison, together, in unity, said, I don't believe it. Has anyone ever been out there, anyone out there ever been in that place of, I, I, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe this good news is as good as it is. I just don't believe that God can really intervene. I really just don't believe God is working all things together for me, for his good, for my good, according to his glory. I just don't believe it. It's too impossible. My situation is too impossible. There's no way that I can crawl out from un out of this and, and have new life again. There's no way I can change what I have done. There's no way. That the circumstances that I am in can be fixed. I don't even really know if God is real or alive. I don't really know if I believe these promises because bad things keep happening to me. And a very bad thing happened to these apostles and these disciples. Their savior, their teacher, their rabbi was murdered. <laughs> and here they have the best news of all. He's alive and they're like, eh. But I want to show you something. They did something that helped their belief. 
So let's look at verse 12. Look what Peter did. But in the midst of them saying, I don't believe it, Peter took action. We're going to see from the other account that there was actually two of them, Peter and John. Peter arose and ran to the tomb, to the place where Jesus was buried, because he needed to see and examine for himself the account. See, he didn't have to do that. This is very important, you all, that we see this. There was an action involved here that led to Peter and John's ultimate belief of the resurrection. They didn't sit in their disbelief and say, you're crazy. Why don't you go somewhere else and have your little crazy time together? We're here and we're mourning and there's no hope. No, they got up and they did, they, they, they sought the answer. And so they went and, and they ran to the tomb. They didn't walk, they ran. There was a desperation. See, they didn't believe it, but yet part of them hoped enough that it was real that they ran and went. So first of all, this is the first applicable principle for all of us when it comes to seasons of unbelief. And even doubt. It's what do you do with the doubt? What do you do with the unbelief? Do, do, you, do you run towards the Savior? Do you run towards his word? Do you run towards the, the life-giving word that at one point you really believed or at some level you believe, but you're having trouble? Are you, see, they ran towards Jesus. This is important. This is not like trying to like extract something that's not really there. This really happened. They didn't have to go. They didn't have to run. They could have stayed put, but they did not. And they ran, and he saw, watch this, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. You see, he still hadn't seen Jesus, but yet now all of a sudden the reality that the tomb was empty, the reality that the linen clothing was laid out and there was no body. See, now he's like, Wait a second. See, as he's seeking, he's getting more answers. The picture is becoming a little more clear. He wouldn't have had this if he stayed put in that room. And so some of you right now, and I'm just speaking to just some of you that are stuck in doubt, even stuck in a level of disbelief or unbelief, I would say, whatever it takes for you to run towards Jesus, to not sit in your doubt, but go and find, go and seek. And we're going to see here, the Lord will always give you an answer. He will always provide wisdom that will reveal more of him, not less of him. But you can't, but you have to be willing. See, they ran and we don't know their state of mind as they were running, but there was enough in the story, even though they didn't believe it, to pull them towards Jesus. If even if it was just a little bit, they got up and they went. And I want to read to you from John 20, same account. Starting in verse three, it says, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple who was John. And we're going to the tomb. So they both ran together. Underline that word in your mind or in your notes, together. 
Because there's an importance of in times of doubt and an unbelief that you're not isolated, but you are together, that you have encouragement and that you have partnership and unity with people that are of the same belief that could help you and go with you. And they were both in the same state of disbelief, but they both went together. And the other, I love this, it doesn't matter, this is such a funny little detail. This is John bragging for whatever reason. And the other disciple, because John's writing this, he's writing about himself. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tube first. Why does that matter? Nothing. John was faster. He wanted everybody to know. Or maybe he was more eager. I don't know. But he felt that it was important to say, I came in first. I was there first. So anyway, side note. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there. Yet he didn't go in. But then Simon Peter came because he came last. He was second. (laughs) He was last place. Probably out of breath, winded. Who knows? He might have had asthma. We don't know. But all we know is he came in second. But then he came following him. But he went in. See, this is really cool. John stayed out seeing, okay, Peter came, but he actually even went in deeper. He went in closer to examine. And he saw the linen clothing lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. There's so much to that also, but we're not going to get into that. But they both were examining They both were seeking. They both were heading towards where Jesus was, or at least they knew he was. And they both were seeing the same thing. John even, I mean, Peter got a little closer to examine. But what is really cool, watch this. Then the other disciple, (laughs) who came to the tomb first, just in case you forgot, it's first place. He went also, and watch, and what does it say? And he saw and what? Believed. Isn't that awesome? Still hadn't seen Jesus yet. But because he went, because they went, all it took was him seeing the empty tomb, seeing the cloth that was over his head folded neatly as a statement of it is finished, it is done. John saw this and believed. He wouldn't have had this moment, this moment of belief, this moment of awakening, this moment of revelation if he did not run (laughs) as fast as he could, to the tomb and see for himself. And it says, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. See, it still wasn't all coming together, but see, wisdom puts things together. We have to understand that, that wisdom doesn't always give you the entire answer, but it gives you chunks. It gives you chunks, and it pieces Jesus and the truth and who he is together, but we have to seek it. And this is what they did. This is how they went from a place of unbelief to belief. New belief. The belief that really ultimately mattered the most because it's the belief in the resurrected Lord and the understanding that he had to be sacrificed, that he had to be killed and be raised again on the third day for the forgiveness of sin. See, now it was going to all come together for them, but it started with that sprint to the tomb. And so I want to look at James 1, because you'll find this principle stated here, this principle of seeking and, and finding wisdom and understanding. 
in the middle of unbelief or in the middle of difficult circumstances that are confusing you, that may be chipping away at your faith and all of a sudden you feel like your faith is becoming weak and you're having a hard time holding on to this belief that Jesus is awesome. And you're like, no, he's not. I don't even think he's involved in my life because how could this happen? But here's the challenge. This is what James says in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and difficulties, persecutions or tribulation. When you find yourself in a situation that is, it, it's, it's, it's compressing you, it's pressing you. And you don't know, you don't, you don't see it, any light at the end of the tunnel. You don't understand what is happening. This is like a curveball. Everything was going fine. And now this has happened. Is God really for me? Is he really with me? Is he even, is he truly alive? Because if he was, how is this happening? So, but watch, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And we're going to get in more to this uh, next week as we start a new series But I want you to understand something, that the testing of your faith isn't trying, God's not up there trying to fail you. He's testing the faith, meaning he's testing it for the strength. You know, it's it's a test. Like, is this thing stable? Is it faithful? Is it trustworthy? And so when when you go through times where God is revealing the strength of your faith and where it needs to be built up, we have to rejoice because he's building our belief. He's building our faith because when we see areas of weakness, we can pursue wisdom and pursue knowledge and pursue more of him to build it up, not sit in it and dwell. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is God's heart for you. That this time of trial, if, for those of you that may be going through difficult things, or some of you may already know this because you've gone through difficulty and you came out stronger because you sought the Lord through it and he spoke and ministered and built you up in it so you could have a lot to offer for people that are going through something difficult, to proclaim that Jesus is alive and he's good and he's faithful and he is with you. But to continue to seek Jesus, to move towards Jesus, and that means to ingest his word, eat his word, meditate on his word, pray continually, gather those around you that believe and let them speak truth and proclaim truth. You see, there's a way to seek and not dwell and sit in your unbelief. Because watch what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks understanding, see the disciples did not have understanding. They thought these women were crazy. But yet there is enough in them that said, I need to go seek understanding. I need to go see for myself. And this is what this is. If you lack understanding, if you're in a place where you feel like maybe some, some of this truth or all of this truth or the goodness of God, he's like, you're having a hard time believing it for whatever reason. Seek wisdom because you're lacking it. <laughs> Ever thought about that? Because unbelief means you're lacking wisdom somewhere because your lack of belief doesn't change the truth. You see, their lack of belief in the upper room didn't change the truth that Jesus was alive and risen. They got to go see it for themselves. Same with all of us. It says, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. There is a promise. 
This is one of the most important promises I think that we have when it comes to times of doubt and unbelief that God will always answer our cry for wisdom and understanding. And that comes through pressing in and seeking him and not seeking the unbelief, but seeking the truth because it's there and it hasn't changed. It's immovable. And it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith. You see, faith, sometimes you got to just, faith is the evidence, uh, the, the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's sometimes unbelief. You're so bombarded with the unseen and you can't believe it because you can't see it. You can't touch it. And your faith isn't working for you. You're not exercising faith. You're, you're, you're exercising more of a rational uh, understanding of your circumstance. But God is calling you to a spiritual understanding of it. And see, that's what faith leads you to, is to God's understanding. Wisdom is God's understanding. And he will give it to you. And his word is alive and it's true. And it will meet you where you are and pull you closer and closer and closer to the reality of a risen Lord Jesus Christ who is with you. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Meaning as he gives, stay there. Don't Don't go back. As you seek and see. See, they sought, they saw the empty tomb. And they let that catapult them into the next phase of their encounter with Jesus. They didn't see that and go, oh, wow, okay, maybe he is. And then leave and say, nah, he's not. No, they allowed that to help them piece together the truth. But they saw the empty tomb first. It's a process. God desires you to stay in the process of his revelation to you. It's so important, y'all. And these are principles, not just for this time where life has been flipped upside down. These are principles for when everything is back to normal and we can really truly begin to live in a way that is God's normal, not our normal. That we begin to believe by a belief in a God that can do anything beyond what we can imagine instead of a God that only operates in terms of what we understand. You know, in trials, we need wisdom a lot more than we need knowledge. I found this quote. Someone once said that knowledge, watch this, is the ability to take things apart. But wisdom is the ability to put things together. Isn't that good? I'll read that one more time. Knowledge is the ability to take things apart. But wisdom is the ability to put things together. And that is what God's truth does. God's truth will always begin to put together who he is. It will never um, contradict itself. And the more you, you lean in and the more you seek, and the, even in the darkest times as you continue to move towards Jesus, to seek him out, to seek his truth, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's like a puzzle being put together. And that's what his wisdom does because he desires you to see more and more of the picture of his goodness. And the disciples were still very limited and that the scriptures hadn't been opened to them and the spirit hadn't revealed to them the fullness of who Jesus was and what he had to go through. You see, they, they, they hadn't got it yet, but they were still piecing it together. That's the awesome thing about what happened, the, the, the accounts of what happened afterwards. 
and how they came to new belief. Now let's look at John 20, 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. Because Jesus, we're going to read that, did um, appear to them. We're going to read that later. But Thomas wasn't there for that. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. The other disciples, the ones that he had walked with for three years and learned with and gone through everything with, who had witnessed the miracles of Jesus, who had hope in Jesus, who witnessed Jesus being crucified and put in the tomb. You see, he was part of that inner circle. He was part of that group. And see, the other disciples came because Jesus appeared to them. Thomas was not there. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, watch what he says. Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side. Watch what he says. I will not believe. I will not believe. See, he's mistakenly called doubting Thomas. (laughs) No, no, no. This wasn't doubt. He plainly and strongly refused to believe. There's a big difference. It's a big difference. See, doubt will come. And often with doubt, you know, you're still wanting to believe. You're like, man, is it this good? I don't know if it could be this good. But yet you could still, you're still, you could still move in your faith and that doubt is eventually overcome. But he literally planted his feet in the ground and said, I'm not believing this. All of the disciples are, are, are telling him, Jesus is alive. We saw him. And now he is in such a state where he's like, nope. He refused it. This could be any of us. He didn't say, well, show me. Come on, let's go see or tell me more. He didn't go running to the place where they said that they saw him, which was in the room. You know, he could have done a number of things to say, oh, man, I can't believe this is nuts. Help me understand more. This is good news. You all are telling me, and I trust all of you. But yet he heard the news, and he was in such a state of despair that he refused to believe the good news. And so what's the application here? Well, it depends on where you are in your faith. It's not just a matter of refusing to believe the resurrection, but it might be refusing to believe the goodness of God or the leading of God. It might be a refusal to believe that there's more to this faith walk than what you've experienced. You may be just, I believe that's it. This is all there is. I'm not doing anything more. And there's countless testimonies around you of people experiencing God and and, and being regenerated and being awakened and their life is being transformed. And you're like, well, no, that's not for me. I don't believe it. I don't believe that can happen to me or for me. Thomas was in this place. And so how did he get here? I mean, that's the biggest question, you know. How does a guy like Thomas, a disciple, one that walked with Jesus for three years, How did he wind up in this place? Because the other disciples, you know, John and Peter, they didn't believe the testimony of the women, but they went to see for themselves. Thomas didn't do anything. He stated his his demands. 
And I don't think he really thought that that would really happen. It was like, no, unless I see his nail, nail prints in his hand and stick my hand and believe me, there's no way. Well, I think that he uh, had personally, I think he had really sank into a state of abandoned hope. I think we all deal with tragedy and difficulty differently. I think he took it so hard that he couldn't even picture it being redeemed. He saw Jesus being crucified. He saw the same things that the other disciples saw. And in his mind, there is no way that could be reversed. There is no way, no way that that could be reversed. And all of his hope just dissipated. And there he was. He found himself like in the pit of despair, (laughs) abandoned hope. But there's one more thing he did that you can derive from the text. He isolated himself. See, all the other disciples were together and Jesus appeared to them in that room. But he was not, he was the only one not there. Why? We can only speculate. But what we know is he wasn't there. So the second principle for us when we're battling unbelief or finding our, 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 ourselves in a state of unbelief and despair Don't isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself. And yes, we are in a state of isolation to a degree, but, and you can even start to feel how hard it is. I mean, we are born to connect with people. That's why this has been so hard. I mean, thank God we have our families, but for those that don't have their families that they're quarantined, they're quarantined alone. I can't even imagine. See, God created us. To, 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 to need each other in a healthy way. We give each other life, but in the faith, we give each other encouragement and we provide life and strength when maybe the other doesn't have it. See, he isolated himself totally. He wasn't there to participate in the good news. And he had isolated himself so much that when they all did come find him, he still ostracized himself and said, I'm not jumping on this train. <laughs> I'm not. I'm staying right here. It didn't happen. There's no way. I refuse to believe. And he didn't get to experience what the disciples got to experience because he had isolated himself. Let's go to John 20. Let's go back to verse 19. Then the same day at evening, this is the same day that Peter and John went to the tomb, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples, see this, where the disciples were what? Assembled and together. Guess who wasn't there? Thomas. For fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said, had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the very thing that Thomas needed to see. They had already seen. They were together and they saw it together and they got to rejoice together and come to that level of belief together. And I love what they say. And the disciples were glad. Boy, I'm glad he's back. I'm so glad. But they were glad. They were happy. They were ecstatic. It was real. He was alive. He was in their presence. He was flesh. And they saw the Lord. When they saw, when they saw the Lord, and Thomas was not with them. Are you isolating yourself right now? I don't know who I'm asking, but are you isolating yourself right now? Because of your abandoned hope, your despair, whatever it is, 
Are you sitting in your unbelief and isolating yourself from others that could bring truth and bring revelation and share this journey with you and help you through this journey and give you steps? Have you isolated yourself? And again, it always goes back to the importance. It is important that we all come to church. I don't know who I'm talking to. (laughs) Come to church. When this is all over, I pray that all of you sense the importance of being able to really gather. This is gathering, it is, but there's nothing like face-to-face gathering. There's nothing like being together when Jesus reveals his truth and all of us being spoken to and all of us sensing the same thing in the same room. There is nothing like it. And Thomas missed out on all that. Proverbs 18.1 says this, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Read that again. A man or woman who isolates himself seeks his own desire, meaning I seek to stay in what I believe, what I know. I'm seeking to stay in my reality. And I'm closing myself off from any wise judgment, any wise counsel, meaning godly counsel. No, I want to seek my own desire. You see, Jesus and, I mean, Peter and John did not. They went and sprinted. They were with everybody. And even then, once they heard the news, they didn't totally believe. They still went together to see. Thomas isolated himself. And therefore was not part of that miraculous revelation of Jesus, the first one. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 4.9. I read this at every wedding, by the way, but it's applicable for friendships and everything else that <laughs> involves relationship. Two are better than one. Can I get an amen? amen? Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. When you isolate yourself, there's nobody there to pick you up. There's nobody there to help pick you up and set you on the foundation of truth. But you stay in that pit. You stay in that pit of despair. You stay stuck, and if anything, my wife was talking about this on Friday, it's like quicksand, and the more you're seeking your own desire, and the more your wheels are spinning, you're sinking, sinking like quicksand, deeper and deeper and deeper, and there's nobody to pull you out. We need each other. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? The one may be overpowered by another. Two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The third cord being that of God himself, the spirit that is alive and well. As we gather together in Christ, we are united. And that bond is strong. And Thomas was alone and isolated and buried himself in unbelief and refused to believe. And it says this in John 20 now. No, no, Hebrews 10, 23, one more verse. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful. So that's what we have to hold on to. And a lot of times our unbelief will fall along the lines of believing that God isn't faithful that he's not going to answer, that he can't fix, that he can't do, that he's not for me, that he's not with me. I got a little, don't come up yet. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I meant the last one of these. (laughs) You'd be, you can come up, you'd be standing up here (laughs) for about another two minutes. (laughs) I guess I'm, I'm, my wife wants me done. (laughs) 
That's not what I meant. <laughs> See, we need each other. We need each other. Or else she would have been standing up here like. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, especially in times of distress, not in times of safety, but in times of distress, in times of difficulty, in times when you're having a hard time holding on to your hope and you're not believing the hope that you profess. You need others as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So is this making sense to you? Put a yes in the comments if it is. Now, verse 26 of John 20. Watch this. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Eight days. (laughs) You see, he stayed in this state of unbelief and despair and hopelessness for eight days. We don't know what happened during that time, but all we do know is that he was with them, that somewhere along the way he decided to say, all right, I'm going to be with you guys. You know, I don't, I, I, we don't know. But what we know is he didn't get to see Jesus for eight days. His questions or his demands would not be answered for eight days. And so he didn't get to participate in the joy of the knowledge of Jesus resurrected. But he stayed in that state for eight days and didn't have to. And then, watch this, Jesus came the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, since that's what you need. And look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Now watch what he says to him. Do not be unbelieving. He didn't say do not doubt. He said, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered him, my Lord in my God. This is so important. Jesus gave Thomas what he needed, but see, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't give him credit for his prior belief. He said, uh uh-uh. uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't say anything about that. He looked at Thomas and said, Do not be unbelieving. Do not, in this moment, in this time, do not be unbelieving. This is a new level of belief and acceptance of who I am. And you could have had this. When the disciples gave you a good and trustworthy testimony, but you decided to stay in the funk that you were in, you see, and you demanded something, but here, okay, don't, but be believing. So here it is. This is what you needed. I'm faithful enough to answer you. So be believing now. And we don't even know if he actually did that. I think it was enough to see it. And he was like, okay, you are my Lord and my God. And Jesus, see, see, Jesus gave Thomas what he needed But what we see, the process with Thomas is one that we could avoid. We don't have to be unbelieving Thomases. He could have believed the report of his friends, the disciples. He could have believed it. And I'm telling you, for those right now that are maybe stuck, believe the ones that are around you. If there are people around you that are believers and hold true to the good news of Jesus Christ and him resurrected and their transformation in him, believe it. Believe it. Because here, this is, this is what blew my mind. Like for that eight days, we don't know what kind of state he was in, but I think he was still in that state of unbelief and despair. 
Who knows what he was going through mentally as he heard the story and like, we don't know. But whatever process he was going through, Jesus was alive the whole time. (laughs) Whatever mental gymnastics he was going through, the reality of the situation was Jesus was alive the whole time. His unbelief didn't change the reality. His unbelief didn't change the reality. And it could have been experienced eight days earlier. I don't want you to waste time. Your unbelief is not changing the reality of Jesus, our Savior, being alive. Your unbelief doesn't change the truth. Your unbelief doesn't make God not exist. Your unbelief is simply holding you back from a reality that can change your life. And seek, as you seek, see, when did Jesus show up? He didn't show up to Thomas when he was alone. He showed up to Thomas when he actually said, all right, I'll be with you guys. We don't know the conversation or what led to that. But Jesus, Thomas found himself now in the room with other believers. And then Jesus showed up. So we don't know the process, but what we know is he sought. He he was there. He, He at least put him in the presence of other believers. And then Jesus showed up. And I would say to you, begin to push in and toward, move. I've always said, and I've heard it said before, doubt your doubt. Like doubt it. It's like, I'm going to doubt my doubt. Because the reality is Jesus is alive. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through him. The only source of life and truth in this world is Jesus himself. And your unbelief is simply keeping you away from it. And John 20, 29 says this. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But watch what he says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. See, that's us. That's us right now. We are blessed. Jesus said, blessed be the ones that by faith believe. By faith seek wisdom and piece together the story. And God reveals it and it changes our life. And it's only the wisdom of God, the spirit of God that can bring it to life because you can totally tear this apart through your own intellect and knowledge, superior knowledge to the other, you know, fools out there that believe this stuff so readily. So you could tear it apart, but it takes wisdom to put it together. And God has given everything we need to put his story together in his truth and reveal it. See, well, those who aren't struggling with unbelief, man, be there for the ones that need a testimony. Be the disciples that go and find Thomas and say, man, Jesus is alive. You can come up now. (laughs) Jesus is alive. And um, I want to encourage you all, the ones that may be struggling. And we'll go into this a little more next week, but it starts first with crying out to the Lord on your own. See, there, there, it, 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 it's, multi, it's multidimensional in terms of how we seek. We seek through our own will and crying out to the Lord. We seek by seeking his word and reading his word. 
we, we, we proclaim his truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We need to hear the truth. We need to proclaim his truth and hold on to it. And then we need to seek others of the faith for their encouragement. We have to admit our weaknesses and even our doubt and let them come up next to us and with us and lock arms and help build us up. You see, there's so many facets But isolation is the worst thing you can do. And you can isolate as a family. You see? You can isolate just as a family. Family is a a gift of God. It's a unit that is meant to bring strength. But yet, we still need the influence of others also. You see, we, we need others. And we need to all come together and cherish what we have in each other. And I'm telling you, it will help us in times when we might find ourselves in valleys of doubt. And you can come up if you want to play a little bit. I'm just going to pray. But for those of you right now, I'm, I'm speaking to you. I don't know who's watching out there. But today is a day <laughs> that you go from unbelief to belief. You don't have to have everything answered. You just have to see like John saw is the tomb was empty. The head cloth was folded. And he believed. And then later, Jesus would reveal himself. Know that what you're feeling here is the God of the universe calling you to your natural state, which is connection and relationship with him. So pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I admit and acknowledge that I am a sinner separated from the Father because of my sin. I admit that I need forgiveness. I acknowledge and confess that the only forgiveness available for my sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of my sins. I confess that you are my Lord and my God and my Father. I confess that I will seek you in your will for the rest of my days. I submit my life to you. I confess that it's by grace I have been saved, your grace, and that I'm covered by your blood. I have been made new and whole. I love you, Jesus. From this day forward, I confess to follow you. I will follow you. Amen. You've been listening to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, an outreach of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. To contact Pastor Russ, visit his website at russfalachi.com. That's russ, F-A-I-L-L-A-C-I dot com. Thanks for listening. And remember, an alive faith is an applied faith.